The Heidelberg Catechism says it so, so, so powerfully. I think it's in question 116 that God will only continue to give His grace. Yes. Question 116. God will give His grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires continually ask them of Him and are thankful for them. So our catechism says it so beautifully. There's two things we must do. Do you want to have the Holy Spirit? Well, you have to ask for Him and you have to be thankful when you receive Him. Do you want God's grace? You have to ask for it and you have to be thankful for it when you receive it. Boys and girls, if your dad gives you a a nice toy that you've been waiting for for a long time, and you take that toy and you say, well, it's not exactly what I wanted, and you throw it down at your feet and you smash it with your foot, and you say, Dad, I want the other one, he's not going to get you the other one. He's going to say, you're a spoiled child. You're not thankful for what I gave you. So it is in our relationship with God. We maintain communion. We abide in God's presence with Expressions of heartfelt gratitude. Thanksgiving is a very, very necessary part of prayer. And it ought to be in our every prayer. Lord, we thank Thee for Thy mercies. And then too, Thanksgiving is pleasant because it has a way of increasing the blessings that we receive. God is pleased to give more to those who are thankful for them. Oh, let the nations be glad. Let the people praise thee, O Lord. Psalm 67 says, Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear Him. And finally, thanksgiving is pleasant, because it's such a great blessing in our family too. Don't you think that made a profound impression upon Noah's children and his wife when he gathered them around his little makeshift altar and he said, children, we've got to thank the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. Let's do that first. That's most important. What a blessing for Noah's family. What a sacred time. Actually, we don't even read of them saying any words, do we? It it seems to be a, a speechless thanksgiving. Noah does it. Well, no doubt there were some words spoken. But I think there was also a sacred awe at that moment. Looking around the earth. Then looking at the altar. Sacrificing the animal. Watching Dad kill that animal. And offer that first offering on the new earth to the living God. For their sins. There's a symbol of dedication. And out of gratitude to the living God. No one speaks. But the thought in every heart is the same, no doubt. What a miracle. What a miracle we are here. Brothers, sisters, mom, dad, what a miracle. We are alive. Today is a special day, dear children of God. You receive the sign and the seal around, I say altering quotes, of the Holy Script, of, of the Holy Supper. You gathered silently around the sacramental altar of worship. Not a sacrificial altar. Christ has been offered once and all for all. But a 
thanksgiving altar. And you've gathered around there silently. And you've meditated in awe as a church family. And weren't there many of us this morning as we sat there who could almost feel each other's thoughts. What a miracle we are here for Christ's sake. But also what a blessing in our own family. There are those times, Father, as you lead family worship, as you erect the family altar, and you give thanks to God with tears and with words and with impression and with conviction that your family feels the reality What a miracle that we have such a God. What a miracle that we are here. Well, that's the task we have now to do. We are to leave the sacramental altar and we are to go into this week and we are to build the family altar. We are to tell our spouse and our children and the children of God, says Brockle, about the goodness of the Lord in our lives. We are to open our closed mouths and to render thanksgiving to God and to speak well of the Lord. Oh, dear Father, is there altar building taking place in your family? Perhaps you didn't attend the Lord's Supper this morning. Perhaps... You never have a desire in the bottom of your heart to build an altar to the Lord. Perhaps you have never seen that every slice of bread you receive on your table is forfeited by God. Perhaps you have never realized that every breath you take is God's grace alone. Perhaps you have never awoken in the morning and said, what a miracle I am here. A sinner such as me. Oh, may I ask you tonight, dear father, dear mother, when your children are laying in bed tonight, sleeping, will you not go around to each bedroom and spend a minute gazing upon each child? Consider what that child is. Consider everything you know about that child in a a quick flash. All the sins of that child, all the weaknesses, as well as the good things. But but consider the weaknesses, the infirmities of that child, one by one. And then go into your own bedroom, alone. And lay before God your own shortcomings. Your children's shortcomings and your spouse's shortcomings. And ask Him to show you what a miracle it is that you are still walking on the earth. Ask Him to show you your sin. And ask Him to work in your heart the cry, give me Jesus, else I die. Ask Him for grace to set up a family altar unto the living God. An altar that preaches dedication, but also that preaches reconciliation. Burnt offerings in Scripture were for three purposes. Thanksgiving, dedication, and atonement. And atonement. 
Noah was preaching to his own family. He picked up the animals. And one by one, every, did you see that word? Every clean beast and every clean fowl. Oh, but Noah isn't one enough. Noah, this is going to take a long time. This is going to take hours. Every clean animal. You're going to kill one of every one, Noah. And beside Noah, this, this is our food. We can't eat the unclean animals, so we have only this small number of clean animals on the ark. This is our future. What are you doing, Noah? Killing one of every one. Never mind, says Noah. Now, they probably didn't have that conversation. But this is what the natural man would say to Noah. The natural man would say that to Noah. But Noah doesn't hesitate. Oh, how he preaches to his family that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Noah has no home. He's got no fold for his herds. He's got so much work to do. But it doesn't matter. He who is the first must have the first. He who is the clean one must have the clean ones. He who is the best must have the best. And Noah is the unclean. He needs the clean for the unclean. Yes, Noah gathers his family around. And he's actually making a confession, isn't he? He's saying, Oh God, with every animal he kills, I must die. But accept this sacrifice in my place. My child must die, but accept this sacrifice in my child's place. Every time he slaughters an animal, Noah, as it were, dies, so to speak, in his own heart, to his own unrighteousness. And there he stands alive by the altar. The clean animal slain as a substitute, pointing to the pure, sinless substitute, Jesus, who only had to die once because His blood is effectual once and for all. You see, Noah's thanksgiving and Noah's dedication and Noah's commitment and everything in Noah would have been without fruit had this offering also not been for atonement. Noah's past was a sinful past. His future would be a sinful future. The next chapter, he gets drunk. He stands as a lost man in himself. He stands as a man who needs God for his past to wipe away his sin. Who needs God for his present to know which way to go. Who needs God for his future to preserve him and to bring him to fresh repentance. And so he begins in the new earth with the sacrifice of atonement. There he stands, gracing the new earth. In himself, a lost sinner, a lost husband, a lost father, a lost new head of the human race. But through the sacrifice, accepted of God, the father of a new humanity, there he stands between two seasons, needing an offering of reconciliation for both, for his past, for his future. And there he lays all his sin, his personal sins, 
The sin is a husband. The sin is a father. The sins of his children. He lays them all on the animals. And he says, Lord, receive these sacrifices in our place. We deserve to die. Well, that's the way we come to the Lord's table. We lay all our sins at the table on Jesus. And we eat of Him. And we drink of Him. We lay all our sins on the strong shoulders of our Messiah. And we lay both the past and the future. We stand between two seasons at Lord's Supper. We stand between a sinful past. And we stand before a future that we know we will stain again with sin. But we bring them both to the Lord. We bring everything to the Lord. Oh, without an altar of reconciliation, without the blood of Christ, friend, how can you bear the burden of your sin even tonight? How can you go on without Jesus? How can you go on making a confession this morning that you know not the man and stay in your seat and make ends meet in Jesus? What is your altar? How do you stand before God? How do you meet Him? If He should come tonight, how shall you die? How shall you appear before the judge of heaven and of earth without Jesus? Noah couldn't do it. He needed blood. And my friend, if you have just but a glimpse of yourself tonight, you couldn't do it either. And yet tonight... Today, all day long, you've heard the name preached to you a hundred times already. There is a way. There is a blood that has been shed. There is a Savior. There is a way of reconciliation. And tonight, that Savior comes to you again and He says, Sinner, I will not yet destroy you. But I have seen you sitting in your seat this morning. I have seen that you could still go on without me. I have seen that you haven't come to the end of your own righteousness. Oh, sinner, will you not hear me? Will you not repent before me? Will you not believe the Gospel? Why will ye die, O house of Israel? Oh, we stand between two seasons. This week the summer is past. And soon the harvest will be ended. And it will go into the cold, into the autumn, into the winter. My friend, I ask you, can you enter into a new season without a sacrifice for your sin? Can you leave the past behind without a sacrifice for your sin? Can you make ends meet without Jesus? And if you say yes, I say to you, pray, tell me, how do you do it? How do you do it? No one can stand a moment without a sacrifice. He couldn't, he couldn't take one hammer and one nail and, and, and begin laying the, the floorboards of his new home without worshiping God and finding a way of forgiveness in the blood. Oh, you say, but I can't do it. Oh, my friend, come with all your sin. Come just as you are. Come post-communion and say, Lord, there was a table this morning and I declared, I made a public confession that I could do without Thee. Forgive me my sin, Lord. If I perish, I perish, but fall at His feet, sinner, and cry for mercy. Cry for self-awareness. 
Cry for conviction of sin. Cry for repentance. Cry for faith. Cry for everything you need. Cry for Jesus. But don't go on. Don't go on thinking you can stand. Because soon the day will come. And Jesus will come on the clouds. And it shall be as in the days of Noah. Luke 17 said, People shall be eating, drinking, giving in marriage, working, planting, building, all the things you're doing. Jesus is going to come. And if you're not ready, what then? If you're not saved by His blood, if you're not facing the future through a sacrifice, what future do you have? And the Lord smelled the sweet savor. Oh, I love these words. Noah is sacrificing one animal after another. And the Lord smells the sweet savor. Would you like to deepen your understanding of Reformed theology? Check out Reformed Systematic Theology, Volume 4, Church and Last Things by Dr. Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley. This book will lead you to explore key scripture topics from biblical, doctrinal, experiential, and practical perspectives. Order the culmination of Dr. Beakey's life's work at heritagebooks.org rst4. pleasant odor. You know, burnt flesh is not a pleasant odor, but it is to God. Because it's not the flesh that's important. It was in Noah's heart a real confession and a real pleading on the Messiah to come. Noah was clinging to the promise. Noah was standing by the altar with his family around him. He was saying, as it were, as he was sacrificing, God, be merciful to me on thy grace. I rest my plea. Plenteous in compassion thou. Blot all my transgressions now. Wash me. Make me pure within. Cleanse. Oh, cleanse me from my sin. And God heard his cry. And God received him through the blood. It was a sweet smelling savor. God smelled, may I say it with reverence, His own Son. His own Son. In the bloodshed. It was as if spiritually the cross was raised and the clouds of sweet odor pierced the heavens. Ephesians 5 verse 2 says, Christ hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Henry Law put it so beautifully, so profoundly. The dying of Jesus, he said, is the garden of God's sweetest perfumes. You see, in Christ, justice and truth and holiness and sovereignty and grace and mercy and all the attributes of God come together in perfect harmony. The Christ through whom Noah's sacrifices were pointing unto And this incense ascends. And heaven, all heaven breaks out 
in sweet-smelling incense. The Lord smells a sweet savor. This is my beloved Son. This is faith in my Son. And I am well pleased with faith in my Son. Oh, He looks over to His Son and He says, Behold, my Son in whom I am well pleased. And He looks down upon His elect Noah and He says, Behold, my elect in whom my soul delighteth. He's pleased with Noah in Christ. He's pleased with His own work in Noah. Not meritorious work, but gratuitous work. Thanksgiving through the sacrifice. Oh, how Satan must have tried to stop Noah. But God said, it's a sweet-smelling savor. Noah says, I give you the best, Lord. I give, I give thee the, the clean and the best and the first of the every clean. The very best worship. And you see, friends, that must be our vow now. As we go forward post-communion, we must give God our best. Not to merit anything, but out of gratitude. When we come to God through the blood of His Son, but then we lay on the altar of dedication our very best. That too pleases God in Christ. Then we want God to have our best praises. We want God, well, we want God to have the best worship. We want everything that hath breath to praise the Lord. We want to praise Him with every breath. We want to concentrate in public worship on the prayers because we want to give God corporate prayer at its very best. We want to sing with open mouths as we sing the Psalters in public worship because we want to give God the very best. We want to hear the Word and retain it and bring it home and do it because we want to give God the very best. Noah took the clean and the first and the best. Oh, let us go and do likewise. Because that, in the end, shall also reap the gracious reward of blessings. That's our last thought very briefly. You see two blessings here. First, the curse of God is averted. The curse of God is averted. I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. The sacrifice was accepted, and therefore the judgment was averted. And so, dear friends, your curse is averted if you are hidden in the wounds of Jesus. For God accepts the sacrifice of Jesus. But then, secondly, the blessing of God is bestowed. While earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Now that's in a natural realm, but it also has a typical mean, doesn't it? As it it applies to natural life, so it applies in a deeper way to spiritual life in heaven forever. God, by His eternal Spirit, offers Himself as man on the altar of His divinity as the acceptable sacrifice unto God, and forever and ever, God shall keep that life alive. He shall never destroy it again. We'll hear more next time about the covenant he made with Noah. But just remember these two thoughts. The curse averted and the blessing bestowed. Well, I close tonight 
And I close by asking all of us, where is our altar? Whom do we worship? And do we understand what a blessing that grateful worship reaps? Grateful worship builds altars, preaches reconciliation, pleases God, and reaps blessings. Ungrateful worship builds self-worship. It manifests division. It displeases God. And it reaps curses. My dear friend, persistent unbelief destroyed the first world and it will destroy your world too if you don't repent and turn to God. So I plead with you to ask God for grace to get in the altar building business to worship Him to seek His face to confess your sins Oh, do not rest until you too can say, I worship God. I bow down before His majestic glory. In spirit and truth, I gratefully bring Him in and through Jesus, according to the Scriptures, the honor and the praise that exclusively belong to Him. And once you taste that, you will be spoiled for life. Five minutes of joyful, grateful worship will give your soul more healing joy than a lifetime of worldly pleasures. Amen. Thank you for listening to Doctrine for Life with Dr. Joel Beakey. If you were encouraged by this episode and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing and sharing with a friend. To enjoy more resources from the pen and pulpit of Dr. Beakey, please visit joelbeakey.org.